Ron Ananian. Paul Eisenstein is with us. Paul wrote an article recently about President Trump talking about closing our southern border. But here's something that is going to affect what this show is about. Your car. The car doctor. They use Mexican-made wiring harnesses. Wow. And guess what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if you have to find something that the automakers can't begin the assembly process without, it's a wiring harness. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to talk about your car and its problem, whatever you got going on, 855-560-9900. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com, where it's always been, cardoctorshow.com, of course, Facebook page, and um, all the other places, and you'll find podcasting out there on Spreaker and all the kinds of good stuff. So uh, we're here to talk about your car, and that's what we do each and every week, uh, these particular two hours. We are live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time, but you can call 855-560-9900 anytime. Leave a message, and executive producer, chief cook and bottle washer, will uh, Tom Ray will call you back and get you in the queue for the next live broadcast. <sighs> God, it's nice to sit here. Uh, you know, he's got to kind of take this in. I was... Um, on a side note, the, the tequila comment in the opening, Tom, was very appropriate. My kids took me out last night. We went to this New Mexican restaurant here in town. And um, I'd never had a bulldog margarita. I never had a margarita before, to tell you the truth. Uh, and um, I, Now, I always thought, as a side note, if we can talk about this. And how we know why he's uh, so sleepy today. Uh, well, I, I, thought a, I thought a margarita was this thing with flowers in it, you know, the, with the, you know, and it came, and it kind of had flour. At least the upside down Corona beer in it looked like a. It's really kind of crazy. It's this big glass of ice, and um, I think there was tequila in it, is what they told me. And they have a short little bottle of Corona beer, and uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't do that. I was, uh, you know, after a long week of work, but it was rather tasty. But um, you know, needless to say, I didn't drive home because um, uh, you got to do the right thing, right? That's. You know, I could have, but you know, it's not like. How come when we were younger, we could do that? You could, you could, you know, you could, you could drink seven of those things and get up and go to work the next day. We give you milk and you get drowsy well, and, and can't drive home. Come on, man. I get, I get sweepy. So, um, but I wasn't too sweepy this week because I want to tell you about this. Oh, oh what the heck? It was it a thirteen Nissan Versa? I got to tell you this story. This is as long as we're telling stories this hour. So, you know, where's the turning point? Where does the car go bad? Where does the problem occur? And, and it just goes downhill. 2013 Nissan Versa came into the shop this week. New customer, really nice lady. Your heart just goes out to her because, you know, some people just don't know anything about cars. And I get it. They're just, you know, they're just, they're just not car people. She bought this 2013 Versa. It was two years old. It had 11,000 miles on it. And she told me, she said, you know, I thought I was set. I had a two-year-old car with 10,000 miles on it, and I figured, gee, it's like a new car. I'm, I'm good for a while because my old car was such a problem. About four days into a dr- driving it and owning it, the check engine light came on. And it said a P0705, which, which has to do with the trans and the park range switch. 
park neutral, drive, that switch. Now, you got to understand, Verse is not exactly Nissan's best effort, all right? It's their entry-level car. Back in 2013, it was about a $14,000 car, brand new, all right? So think about car prices in 2013, seven years ago, right? $14,000? You know, today that car is probably worth three grand, and it's only got 46,000 miles on it. And it still has the check engine light because it's been there for the past four years. And nobody could give her a straight answer. On, you know, She says, I just want a straight answer. She goes, I'm not really even expecting you to fix it. She said, I just know that you'll, you'll give me an answer and tell me, you know, what should I do? So the first time the dealer, and it was great because she had all the records. The first time the dealer worked on it, uh, she took it. And they talked about, and, you know, the devil's in the details, the saying goes, right, that... If, if you read the details, and I did, they talked about we repaired the wiring harness at the brake lights for this P0705 and the stop lamp circuit and the reverse light circuit because Versus have this problem, and it's, it's particular to them, it seems, in that if you've got a Nissan Versa, and if you do, I'm sorry, um, you know, that if you have this, if the wiring is incorrect on these early Versas, um, must be a joke in there somewhere, early verse, early now. And it can create a check engine light. So one of the things we know for a fact, and I looked at all the basics, but did you know that if you drive an early Nissan Versa and you are setting fault codes, in particular a P0705 for a park range switch, the wrong manufactured brake light bulb in the back will cause a trouble code. Yeah. If you, if you take the bulb out, if you've got a Nissan Versa, very important note, what we found over time is if, you take, if, you, if you've got a Nissan Versa and you go to replace the rear stop, reverse, or directionals, you want to put in a bulb. You ever take a bulb out of a socket and look at the bottom and the two little solder um, tits that are there, they're round, right? You want to use the style. You have to go out and find the Nissan dealers where you're going to find them. They've got to be oval-shaped like a football. Those are the ones, for whatever reason, those cars like oval-shaped stop lamp bulbs on the on on the solder on the solder tits. It just doesn't. They'll set a fault code. And she had those. She had the wiring harness repaired. Somebody had done the tail lamps. There's a bulletin out there for tail lamp assemblies for moisture that gets on the on the um, inside the tail lamp housings gets on the tail lamp uh, boards and will cause the fault code. She had that. I looked through the stack, and when I say the stack of paperwork, it had to have been at various dealers, close to five, maybe six, over the past four years. They have changed the transmission, the park range switch, the brake light switch, the tail lamp assemblies, twice as a matter of fact, multiple bulbs. They changed every switch Every component, the trans control module, the BCM, they changed every component in this circuit except the wiring harness. So it was interesting in the first go round, the first mechanic said repaired damage to wiring harness from accident related repairs. Oh, and right away they got my attention. The turning point on this, and the bottom line becomes that you've got to read the details because that's where the answers are. 
I believe that this car it had 10,000 miles on it. You have to ask yourself, why is that two-year-old car with 10,000 miles on it, why is it for sale? Why is it traded in? Why doesn't somebody own that car anymore? What's wrong with that car? And I'm not saying everyone is. And you almost don't know. But if it happens to you, you've got to do it different than Patty, because Patty didn't know. And that's the whole point of this. I want to try and educate you to so see, understand. You know, I, I told her, I, I said, listen, where you went wrong was you didn't go back to the dealer and say that you bought it from and say, look, I bought this car. It's five days old. I've got this check engine light that they've been trying to fix for the past two weeks, and nobody can fix it. If you can't fix it, it's a lemon. I want my money back. She didn't know to do that. And that's the shame of it, because I really believe that this car had an accident in its life somewhere in the first 10,000 miles. It wasn't repaired properly. It was then sold, easy enough to clear a check engine light. As a matter of fact, when that car left the shop on Friday, we had cleared the check engine light as part of the diagnosis, drove the car for three days. The light never came back on. It's an intermittent at random fault that it occurs whenever it wants to. It's just at, at, at random. And it came back to, I said, you know, you could call Nissan and, and maybe they'll do the right thing. Maybe they'll step up. Because in my mind, that car's got a wiring harness issue. That's the only thing left. That's the only thing they haven't changed. And if it's not accident related, you know, if it's not related to this accident that the car had in the rear, that it was rear-ended or damaged in the rear corner somewhere, then it's damaged from assembly. And I actually took apart some of the junction connections. I took apart the main master junction connection on the left side up by the kick panel. I pulled that apart. I looked at all the pins. All the pins were level square, you know, straight. Nothing was at fault. And sometimes it happens. It just, you know, I gave her back the car, and I, and I couldn't talk her out of it. She, we, we put tires on it. We put brakes in it because she's going to hang on to the car now until October and try and get another six months out of it and save some money. And she said, you know, I'm glad I found you. I'm sorry I didn't find you four years earlier because at least you told me what's really going on instead of just continuing to throw parts at it. But isn't that what a mechanic is? Isn't that your obligation? Aren't we supposed to do that with one another? We're supposed to try and take care of one another. It's Listen, at the end of the day, the shop had a job. The shop made a little bit of money, and, you know, we helped somebody. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? I mean, really and truly? Woman came into the shop yesterday. I almost don't know how to answer these questions anymore. Um, woman came into the shop yesterday, you know, older, driving this 04 Chrysler 300M. And I said to her, I said, oh, you're the one that still has one. She kind of got the joke, right? And um, she said, you know, I'm looking for a mechanic. She said, are you any good? And I, I, I didn't know how to answer that. You know, do you do good work? And I just, she said, and are you honest? When the car doctor returns, I'll give you the answer. Eight five five. No, 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 no. Mike and I are going to give you the answer. Uh, go ahead. We're debating. We just said no. Well, I'll tell you when I come back. I'll tell because it's a true story. I mean, you just the questions and I guess the the dilemma that people have with getting cars fixed. By the way, this hour, why don't we kick open the uh, the prize closet? I've got uh, I've got a couple of books. OBD two diagnostics made easy by Steve Cook. 
Uh, let's give away a couple of books this hour. Um, we'll do it at random to a couple of calls. We'll see who calls in. We'll see what the calls are about and uh, how exciting things get. So we'll do that this hour, OBD2 Diagnostics, made easy by Steve Cook, uh, the book we've been giving away over the past couple of weeks. And we'll give away a few more today. So uh, that's on the table, too. 855-560-9900. Ron and the car doctor at your service right after this. It's the he drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. So then I'm standing in the middle of the shop, going back to the story. And, you know, are you any good? Are you, you, know, are you any good at fixing cars? Do you know what you're doing? And I, I, I told her point blank. I said, no. I said, uh, I'm, I'm a bum. I really don't know how to fix cars. I just, you know, I've been, I'm just kind of hiding here till I retire that, you know, I'm kind of practicing. And, uh, you know, she, she didn't quite know what to say to that. And she said, well, you know, how much is your hourly rate? And I told her, and she said, and how much is this? And I told her, and she said, you know, she said, are you any cheaper than the dealer? And I said, I have no clue. And that's the truth. I really have no clue. And she said, how could you not know? And I said, how could I care? I said, how come you didn't ask the right questions? You know, anytime anybody interviews us, because they always come in with the broad announcement that they're looking for a mechanic. And my first thought is, yeah, you and 300 million other Americans, um, you know, is how come nobody ever asks, how right do you do something and, and describe this procedure to me? And, you know, how come nobody ever asks, do you have room to take on more people? And, you know, that gets in there, too. I went and got a haircut this morning. Got them all cut. Right. And I don't know. Haircuts kind of put me to sleep. And I'm kind of dozing in the chair. And um, Vince has been cutting my hair for years and years and years. And he's clipping away. And it's a two-chair shop. It's a very, very small shop. I mean, it's like Mayberry. Right. It's like you expect Andy and Barney to come walking in the front door at any given time. And... The woman next next to me in the chair is, is talking to Loretta, Vince's wife, and they're they're talking about her Subaru, the woman's Subaru. The woman's Subaru's got this noise in the front that nobody can find, and it's got this clattering exhaust, and you know she doesn't know what to do with it. And under my breath, kind of out loud, I went, uh, "What your car?" And she told me, and I said Subaru, and she yeah, I said yeah, the heat shield's up front are are loose and rattling, and I said it it, it needs front heat shield, and they you know Loretta knows. She knows what I do, and, and this woman turned and kind of looked at me, and she was like, you know, uh, uh, you know, and you know, after you've been on radio for 27 years or whatever it is, you just know when somebody looks at you, they're thinking. You can see the wheels turning, like they're listening to the voice, and they, they, they kind of put it together, and she's like, and Vince goes, the car doctor does it again, <laughs> and the woman goes, wow, she goes, I've heard of you. And I said, well, you know, that and 15 bucks will get you through the tunnel at any given time. But, um, you know, she's she got it, and she asked the right question. She said, are, are you, listen, she said, can I bring the car to you? Are you, and I don't do it for that. I just, you know, I just, I mean, what else could it be? It's a Subaru. Front heat shields fall off those things like, you know, like it's 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 Tuesday and, and you know, it's stuck between Monday and Wednesday. It's just going to happen. It just, it just does. So the woman with the Chrysler ended up, you know, the rest of the conversation was, I said, listen, when you get a problem, when you've got something you want us to look at, you call, you make an appointment. If we've got room, we'll take you. And we'll see how we work out. I said, you know, I said, this has to be a good fit for you and a good fit for me. I said, and I think that's part of the issue. I think that when people go out looking for mechanics, it's this assumption that every mechanic is right for every 
person and every car and every mindset. You know, it's like it's like picking a doctor, and I say that in all seriousness. This is no different than picking any other professional. And, you know, if you have problems, if you have questions, like the woman with the Versa that we started the show with talking about Patty, right? Patty really should have, you know, found outside help or her for her car in any event and, and, and discuss that. And, you know, that should have been the 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 way that um you know her problem got solved patty picked up the car by the way and um you know you can always tell right uh, patty's trunk had no room in it and i don't know what it is but i've come to this i've got this theory going there's a couple of observational things about people in cars if your trunk has no room in it and and during the repair we had to put tires on patty's car i asked her i said where's your wheel lock key didn't know what a wheel lock key was, right? Didn't have a clue. She didn't even know what wheel locks were, all right? Hardly knew what lug nuts were, all right? And I explained it to her, and she said, well, how would I get into the trunk? It's filled with stuff. And I said, well, that is, that's the other part of this because, I mean, when I tell you it was packed, it was packed. We had to get, we had to get a fat guy and, and two big kids to sit on the trunk lid to get the, lid, the trunk to close again because Danny opened it looking for the wheel lock key. We like, oh, my God, we got to... You know, so I jumped up there with Bob and some other kid, and we got it closed. But um, uh, you know, it's it's auto repair has its moments. It really does. It it just you y- you can't get over the way things twist and turn and the way the cars misbehave. We had an 05 Focus that, and if you're driving an older Focus, this is something to look at. We never really talked about it, but I've seen this before, and it came to mind on my forefront this week. 05 Focus, have your mechanic the next time it's in, in that generation, five, six, sevens, look at the rear coil springs, all right, where they come through the rear control arms. The It was a poor design, and it rusted out. I mean, it's over 10 years old now. And the poor person, the, the, it, was a, it was a young driver, and I always worry about the young drivers, how will they react. She was driving along at 40 miles an hour, and the left rear coil spring let go. And, you know, she said it sounded like a shotgun going past her rear because it hit the, it hit the ground, kapang, and the whole body settled in the left rear corner. She thought she had a flat, but the car kept rolling. She didn't know what was going on. Um, so we ended up, that's another story, how we had to fix that and cut everything out with the torch right next to the gas tank on the 12-year-old rusting car. That was so exciting. But we survived, and we are here. So um, anyway, I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines and uh, get to it. So don't go away. We're back right after this. Running into the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's go over to line two and talk to Frank in New Mexico. Frank, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, thank you, Doc. I, I love coming to class every Saturday. I neglected to write down the part number of that little device that you put on the end of your uh, propane bottle. You know, oh, with the, yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote six. I forgot to write that down, and I want to construct one of those puppies. Okay. Um, oh, you, basically, it's easy. Just go to Google OTC Tools Owatonna Tool Corp out of out of uh, Minnesota. Uh, makes it. Right. It's, it's their part number seventy one forty eight. Seventy one forty eight. Yeah, and it's it's easy to do. And the the key thing they don't have there because keep in mind they they made that for they made that for Chrysler Lean Burton Systems back in the in the seventies when it was it was propane enrichment as a propane enrichment tool. 
uh, you know, one of the things we add to it is, and you'll see it, there's like a rubber stopper on the end where they would put it inside the, um, inside the air cleaner housing for enrichment. One of the things that we do is we will take a brake line and put it in the end of the hose and then peen down, down the other end, and that gives you a very precise orifice so you're not just randomly flooding the areas with propane. Uh, so if you're look, using it as a vacuum leak tool, it works. If you're using it to run the vehicle, a little bit of back pressure on the bottle so it just doesn't all dump out, uh, you know, it helps keep fluid in the bottle, frankly, and um, lets it run. So, but yeah, an OTC 7148 works really well. We've, geez, I, you know, I, I've had it for years. Uh, I've had it for years, and I know they still make it. And I'm thinking they've got to be doing something else with it because you can still buy them, and they haven't made a Chrysler lean burn system in, what, 40 years now? So, uh, you know, maybe this radio show is keeping that tool alive. Everybody's buying them to make for propane enrichment and to drive the car on. So, but, um, yeah, that's okay, what I would do. Okay, that's what I'll do. Thank you very much. You're I very welcome, sir. Down the most no, of not a problem. I've Glad to be here. For how's, hey, Frank, before I let you go, how's your, how's your Oldsmobile doing? Well, it's, it's doing better, actually. I, I had it in the shop Wednesday ready to swap out carbs, and the, and the guy, the mechanic could have done that and made a lot of money, but he said, you know what? You've got it. He found a bunch of vacuum leaks, especially some big ones in the PVC holes. And he says, you these are all fixed now. He says, you go get the car hot and go for your second retest, and I bet you it's going to pass. Right. Was that, so that's what I'm going to do. That was failing hydrocarbons, right? Yes, hydrocarbons at high RPM. Okay. You know, and he said, yeah, that's what's going to happen with as many leaks as you had. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, the one thing I, th I thought about something else, too. If you were to take that carburetor off, and it came to me afterwards, because I tend to think about questions on the show during the course of the week, like I have nothing else to do. And if you take that carb off and look at the bottom, there's solder plugs. You know, when they when they manufacture that carburetor, like they manufactured all carburetors, the the, the drills and the and the the cutters would go through and make the passageways, and then they would seal them up with a with a hot solder plug. They would you know drop in a chunk of solder or a solder plug, and it would seal the hole. It falls out after time. Yeah, they fall. They don't fall out, but they'll loosen up. They'll get porous. They'll start to rattle. They'll leak. They'll drip fuel where they're not supposed to under certain conditions. So back in the day, we would actually take the carburetors off because carburetors were expensive in 1990, and we didn't want to just randomly start replacing carbs. I mean, back then a 500 dollar carburetor was a lot of money and we would we, there were epoxies out there that would reseal the solder plugs and there's they're still in use today carburetor rebuilders the guys that are really rebuilding carburetors not just swapping out gaskets and cleaning out passageways will will know what the right stuff is and you can you know re-epoxy re to reseal those solder plugs if they are indeed leaking now you may not see anything on it what we would do is we would uh, you know, clean the carb up, get it dry, put a little bit of fuel in the vent overnight, you know, pour it down the vent bowl, let the carb sit on a workbench overnight, and see if it leaks out. See if it leaks out. Just put it on a white shop towel, and if you lift it off in, in the morning, just lift it straight up. If the shop towel's got gas stains on it, you know it's leaking out the bottom of the carb somewhere. <laughs> and now at least, you know, sometimes simple yeah. is better, right? It's It's the simple stuff. Um, you know, if I remember right, what I did eventually after a while, because I was, I kind of wanted to see the drip, I went to the hardware store and bought, at the time, five-inch bolts, maybe six, 
that, you know, I, I, I double nutted. I put one nut on, and then I put it through the hole upside down, and I put the nut through the other side. And now I actually made, like, four a four-legged carburetor stand so I could take the carb off, put it on the stand, sit it on the workbench, and then I had enough room with a flashlight. I could stick my head under there with a flashlight and look and see the drip as it was happening. I, you know, and, and you know, just I've got those bolts somewhere. I should find those. And... You know, it just it just made life a whole lot easier. But we did a lot of those. Um, yeah, and I failed to mention that. I thought about that after the fact. I'm sorry, but that that could be dripping too, especially now. Well, it's... that's a swell tip. Now yeah. I know exactly what to do. Yeah, so... but I, I I think it's going to be fine. He he, he checked it. The shafts are tight, uh, and he said, "I just bet you anything that you're going to be fine now." All right. So you know, because I would, try it. But yeah, I would rather you see you. Yeah, I would patient. rather see you keep what you've got. Because trust me, compared to the rebuilt cores that are out there, unless you find a good one or somebody that's really taking the time to go through that carburetor, then um, you know it's it's what you've got is probably better than most. So all right, kiddo, don't give up that carburetor okay, as a thanks, core either. Doc. You want to rebuild it. You're welcome. You're welcome, Frank. You take good care and have a good rest of the weekend. Um, you know, it's funny that the, the things I'm going to remember, I guess. Uh, you know, by your calls, and I appreciate it because you guys ask me questions, and uh, you know, all of a sudden it comes to my mind that I went, yeah, I remember that we 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 had a um, and I still have it actually, <laughs> I haven't gotten back to it yet. '96 Bronco, so '96 was the first year for OBD2, right? '95 was the last year, and then '96 is where it began. '96 Bronco that had a P0171, 174, you know, running rich. It was running lean, actually. It was it was dumping a lot of fuel, and fuel trim was a plus 25% both banks. And, uh, you know, kind of going through it and trying to remember, you know, what goes wrong, what goes bad, and I went through the... And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I took the propane tool, sniffed around the upper plenum where the top of the plenum intake plenum met the bottom, and sure enough, the gasket had blown out right by number two, uh, where number one and number two intake runner meet. And when I looked at the check engine light codes, uh, it made sense because I also had a misfire being reported on those cylinders, and it was a lean fuel condition misfire. The gasket was physically missing. As soon as I put some propane down there, the fuel trim numbers came down because I, I compensated for the air leak. So, um, you know, the, the common pattern failures of cars. Cars had common pattern failures 30 years ago you've just you know we've just forgotten because uh, so much other information has come in to push that stuff out so anyway 855-560-9900 we'll be back to the phones right after this don't go away welcome back we're on the the car doctor let's get over and talk to frank in maine 2011 ford ranger frank welcome to the car doctor sir how can i help hi ron um thanks You're i've welcome. got a uh 2011 uh, Ford uh, XLT. Um, I've got 175,000 on it. Um, but for the last three, four years that I've had it, um, I've, I've every so often I'll have the the overdrive light start flashing. Um, but it will only do it if I'm typically driving on the highway, which I actually don't do a lot of. Right. So if you if you drive on the highway on a more consistent basis, do you think the problem is able to be reproduced? Um, well, uh, again, not consistently. I mean, um, sometimes I'll drive down the highway a few miles and it will come on. Uh, other days I might go down the highway, you know, close to 50 and it, it won't come on. Mm. Um, but that's the only time that I see it when I'm doing 
you know, 60, 65 right. kind of a speed. Right. When I'm just driving the back roads, then it, it, I've never seen it come on. Any, any, so. any fault codes in there? Yeah, I did have a fault code that um, one of the, the uh, auto parts places gave me. I had a, a PO741. Torque, um, torque which, converter slip, yeah, TCC slip. Um, which, I, I, which I've been told could mean, you know, three or four things, I guess. Right, so. right. The issue is, um, did you ever have a mini bike as a kid? Uh, no, I had a friend, though, that did. You know, or, or, <laughs> or, yeah. Or, yeah, you know, and, and they had a centrifugal clutch on it. Remember the, the centrifugal clutches that expanded out against the drum? That, you okay. know, or if you look up centrifugal clutch for pictures and explanation, that's, that's sort of how the torque converter works on this truck. Uh, they, you know, a, a, a torque converter lockup, centrifugal clutch setup. Basically, they extend these, they expand these friction-driven plates against the outer shell of the converter. So there's an inner and an outer. The the the, you know, and they have to freewheel from each other. But at the right moment, the computer grounds a solenoid, opens up a hydraulic circuit, and allows fluid to flow to push these friction plates out against the outer shell, just like that centrifugal clutch on your buddy's mini bike. Same thing. So, you know, when the engine's running along at 50 miles an hour and it's, it's doing 2,000 RPM and then they lock up the converter, they're expecting to see output shaft speed drop from 2,000, you know, input shaft speed, you know, 2,000 on one side and then expect it to drop to, uh, you know, or, or be even with that of the trans or the crank because now it's locked. Now it's a one-to-one -one lock. They're both tied together. Um, it's not seeing that. Or it's, or it's it's not happy with the way it's applying. It's it doesn't have the right amount of slip. They'll tolerate, you know, a certain amount of slip, 25 rpm, 30 rpm. But if they're seeing more than that, because even though it's applied, if the friction plates are worn out, it, it just you know hydraulically it's working, but mechanically the the, the lock isn't there. Hmm. Why is it so random? You won't know until you get it diagnosed, but I'd be I'd be willing to bet that I'd be curious what fluid looks like, and I'd be willing to bet that with a scan tool hooked up, even when it doesn't turn on the light, you will see some percentage of slip. All right. Okay. Because not every you know not every condition creates a fault code. In in, in other words. Let's say let's say the percentage of slip, and you understand what I mean when I say percentage of slip. If they're looking for a one-to-one -one lock, but they'll allow a 25 RPM slip off the input speed to the output speed be acceptable. If it gets to, and then at 26 it sets the fault code. Well, at at 24 it's still going to slip, but it won't it won't set a code. So you'll see something out of parameter if you understand what I'm saying. Um, yeah. You know, there's 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 a limit. Usually it's obvious. Usually it's 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 blatant, so uh, you know it'll be a much greater range than that. It'll be zero to zero to two hundred RPM, and you know the thing will hover around one fifty all day long, and then finally it gets to two hundred one, two hundred two, two fifty, and okay, bingo, we get a light, we get a code. Now the question becomes: It's seven years old. It's got one hundred seventy-five thousand miles on it. Are you going to fix just that, or are you going to put a trans in it? Um. Well, I I'd like to. <laughs> I'd rather try to uh, just fix what's wrong with it. Okay. Uh, I haven't had any other issues with the trans um, other than this. Well, and, and the reason I ask that is is because depending upon the fluid condition, yeah. you know, when was the last time the trans fluid was changed? I had it changed uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. Right. Um, and because I, I, that was the first thing I, I figured I would try. Um, right. And I... 
I didn't notice anything appreciably different after right. I did that. But so. I, and I guess I guess my point becomes that fluid condition and color sets sets a precedent on you know what else could be here. Understand most of what this fault code could be requires removal of the transmission. And okay. since since you're in Maine, um, I can only imagine the amount of rust that might be under this truck. And getting well, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when I got it uh, a few years ago, the rust was fairly minimal, and so I've been trying to take real good care of it ever since. Then I've been applying a, you know, a, an undercoating, right? Yeah, every cleaner. year. Sure. So yeah. good. I, you know, f for that reason, I'd I'd like to see if I can't keep it longer, even though it is starting to get up there in miles. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I kind of look at it as, if I can pin it down as to what it is, if it needs a converter, Frank, I'll say it like this. If they diagnose it to the point that it needs a converter, and the converter is plain, flat-out bad, I think okay. I think to buy a good quality torque converter, you're going to find that the cost, the labor to pull the trans is prohibitive enough that it's going to pay to put a unit in it. But take it to, okay. a, take it to a trans shop. Explain what we talked about. If they want, they can listen to this, and you know it'll be up on the podcast. They can listen to the this is the last fifteen minutes of the first hour of today's date, and they can use that for reference. But basically, we want to go look at torque converter slip speed, and and you know, do we have a converter that's slipping? Do we have a code that's about to set but hasn't? See if they can duplicate it and then get it diagnosed. Could it be a solenoid inside the trans? Sure. Could it be a ground issue? Sure. Could it be a software update on the PCM? Yeah, but that's all given. We're, we're going to go look at, you know, software updates anyway. So, But let's get a hardcore diagnosis on it, kind of going in this direction. And then if you want, we can talk about it and run the numbers and see which way makes more sense. I appreciate the call. I'm running Andy and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Running Andy and the Car Doctor as we uh, kind of close things out this hour. You know what we forgot to do this hour? We forgot to give away our books. I just... You know, I get so caught up. I'm sorry. I got so caught up in, uh, um, so we'll give them away next hour. That's what we'll do. We'll give away OBD to Diagnostics Media. Got a lot going on next hour, by the way. Tim Richmond um, is a first responder that um, actually Tom knows, I believe. And um, Tim Richmond is going to stop by next hour. We're going to talk about vehicle dangers to emergency responders. You know, we, we talk about it, and we've never really looked at it in depth, but some of the potential when a first responder shows up to an accident uh, the hazards of what they what they're exposed to, and you know the issues in particular with electric cars now. Uh, the electric cars are posing some hazards when they're involved in accidents, as they as they ultimately will be. Um, uh, Tim's going to talk to us about that and uh, some of the things he's seen. So that's going to be an interesting interview down around the bottom of the next hour. Um, you know, as, as so changes the car, so changes the way we not only work on it, but you know, you bring it back to life or <laughs> bring it back to life. Um, get 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 you get you out of it when the when the problem happens. Um, you know, that's that's an issue. So uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to say the least. So, but uh, we'll be doing, joined by Tim Richmond, a first responder, next hour um, to talk about that. The um, I don't want to say the dangers, but the uh, the issues with electric vehicles and vehicles in general, how they've changed over the years. Till then, I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. <laughs> 